Like, that's kind of like saying, like, I'm my farts. I fart and I am my farts. <laughs> of all the analogies. <laughs> no, but it's not real. Like, I am not my farts. I just have a feeling that happened. <laughs> what? <laughs> you are so weird. So strange. So strange. Welcome to another episode of Best Friends with Benefits. I am Noni. I am Kristen. And today I am so incredibly excited and proud to bring you guys this episode. I already predict millions of gems for you guys, but this episode is really about putting yourself out there, taking the leap, and stop looking for yourself. That is going to make some quite a bit of sense later, um, but I'm super duper proud to introduce our friend. We've probably referenced him in a couple of episodes, <laughs> and you're like, who is this person? This is both Kristen and myself. This is our friend, Anthony Giles. Hello. Hello. Hi. Thank you guys for having me. Absolutely. So let us give us just a little taste of why people should know you, who you are in the world, and what's going on in your life. All right. So this is Best Friends with Benefits uh, podcast, and I'm here with my actual best friend <laughs> on this side. So I am Anthony Giles. I'm a Grammy-nominated songwriter and producer, makeup artist, uh, best friend, <laughs> and now a recording artist. Um, yeah, it feels strange to say that, but yes, I am, I'm officially a recording artist. Oh my gosh. So if you guys even understand, so I've known Anthony for almost 11, 12 years, probably older than 13, 13. years. Goodness gracious. 13, 13 years. years. And he has been my partner in so many things. My um, producer, co-writer, best friend, all of the things. And there has been so many times where he would reference a song and I'm like, you sound amazing on this. You need to release it. And you were so adamant against it. Just take us through the thought process of going from, you know, being behind the scenes to now you're going to put yourself out there as an artist with this amazing album that you released. So the, the funny thing about this is when I first started doing music, like first, first, like probably like 14, 15 years old, I always had an intention of doing a record. Like I was going to do a record. I wanted to be a producer. Like, First and foremost, I wanted to be a producer, but I always imagined that I would do a record. Um, but as I really focused on songwriting and producing, that really sort of went out of the window because I, I never felt like I wanted the attention necessarily. Like I enjoyed the creativity, but I just didn't care for like the competitive attention that comes with, you know, artistry and sort of that. I liked my producer community more than I liked the artist community, if that makes any sense. Um, and I found so much more camaraderie and, you know, we were just able to be creative. There's a competitiveness that happens, but it's not, it doesn't feel head to head. Um, and I always felt like in the songwriter and in the producer community, we were so much more supportive of each other um, than having to directly compete. Um, with artists, a lot of times you're competing for 
producers' attention, for labels' attention, for attention over each other. So it's just so much competition that it sometimes steals the joy from, you know, from the space. And as a producer, I really get to do the best part of, of the creativity. I get to be with the artists. I get to help them discover and find their voice. I get to write with them and, you know, we get to discover new places and new sounds and know the most intimate stories. That's the best part of all of this. You know, like I really get the best part of this. So I really got addicted to having the best part of this and not having to do the competitive, you know, part where it's all about your image and the minutia that people hate of the industry. Um, I found a way to avoid that. But uh, the pandemic really woke something up in me. You've been in the music world for a really long time. So what was it about, you know, this time? Like, why now? And what had you just be like, I'm doing this now? Like, I've waited long enough. I've wanted to do this. I'm doing it now. And, you know, what was that like for you? Okay. So it actually, it was a very, very simple decision. It happened in July. Um, so I went to the beach with a friend of mine and I dropped my phone in the ocean. I drowned my phone. And so I had to go to Apple and buy a brand new iPhone. And with that brand new iPhone came headphones with wires. I've been using AirPods for the last 18 months and I hadn't touched a wired headphone like other than my you know, studio cans. And I was listening to a demo that I had done and sent to Rock Nation for Rihanna that they actually told me they really liked with the headphones. And I was like, I sound really good. <laughs> like I hadn't heard myself in a wired headphone. And I was like, wow, like <laughs> this kind of sounds fire. And I went back and forth with them for a little while. You know, we're exchanging emails and at a certain point, I was like, you know what? I could wait for the next year if she decides to put out a record and then maybe get a slot, or I could share this. So I sent the song to you. I sent the song to uh, a couple of other people, and I was just like, what do you think about this? And they were like, this kind of sounds great. And I said, you know what? Fuck it. I should, I should put it out. Um, that's a, that's the kind of year it's been. 2020 is like, and why not? I had been, I'd been working on music for another artist, friend of mine, uh, since the beginning of the pandemic, where like he had a little, a slowdown period with work. So I was like, we should do, this should be the time when we do your EP. So I started all of these ideas, but these ideas were all my personal stories. So he showed mm -hmm. up to one session in like four months. <laughs> he, you know, like artist depression is real. Like I feel like when when artists are going through it, like you could have all the talent in the world, you do not have the energy to sort of do an output. Like you just, if you don't feel the spirit, it just doesn't come. And so I'd started all of these ideas and, but they were my stories. So I had the the words and I had the the arrangement and all of that sort of stuff to finish it. And I said, you know what? 
is this ever gonna be a time where I have time to do this? Like I have so much time on my hands. Um, even though I'm still working during the pandemic, I'm one of those lucky blessed people who's been able to keep working. I was like, it's that time. So I just started to finish them like one by one. Literally, I just sat down and I started to finish the songs. And now we have a 19 track record. beginning of the pandemic, I did a little challenge with myself because I was like, you know what? You got to be in the house, be creative. So I wrote 30 songs in 30 days. Wow. I didn't care if they were good. I didn't care. It, it, it wasn't about quality. For me, it was just about like sort of stretching that muscle and, you know, not limiting myself. It was like, if it comes out bad, it comes out bad. But, mm -hmm. um, and most of this record is from those 30 days of... Wow. Of songs. Wow. So I know what it's like recording in the studio with you and how you push me. <laughs> He'll just be like, won't even tell me the note, but just reach up like higher, higher. <laughs> what is the process like producing, writing, your engineering on your own? Like, how do you go through that process recording as an artist? And how do you know when to push yourself versus this is good? So my whole journey with producing really started with this TV special when that I saw when I was probably like 10 or 11. Um, it was David Foster, and he was talking about producing the Bodyguard soundtrack and producing Whitney Houston. And he talked about making her sing I Have Nothing for three days because he, there was something very specific that he wanted to get out of her. And he made her sing until she cried. Like, not cried because she was emotional, cried because she was singing on the rails of her voice. Like, she was literally oh. on the edge of her voice. And I remember him saying, the only thing that you need to be a producer to start is a love of music. And I was like, I have a love of music. I could do this. Um, so when I'm in the studio with an artist, I'm always looking to do that David Foster thing. Like, I wanna be the person who got the vocal out of them. Like, like you worked with everybody else and I'm sure you sounded great, but I want that session with me to be the one where you're like, I sang my face off. Like, <laughs> I, you know, and I always, you know, we've worked with me. So you, you, you get like, I'm, I will torture you, but it will sound amazing at the end, even if you wanna cuss me out um, while we're in the process. So for myself, it was a little bit different because this record for me wasn't about, it wasn't about vocal gymnastics. It wasn't about proving that I could sing. Um, I know I can sing. Um, it was really about telling a story that's really intimate. Like there's some fun moments on the album, but for the most part, it's actually quite vulnerable. Um, and I, I use the microphone in a very specific way um, I always think about the microphone like the listener's ear. And if you're, you know, belting, you're not belting directly into the listener's ear, you're sort of like belting to a stadium. So I tried to imagine like where I would want you to listen to the majority of this record, which would be like by yourself and like very intimate and close in, in small spaces. And so I sang incredibly close to the microphone so you could hear every breath, every 
like every syllable, like it was, it was a very, very specific choice uh, to produce the, the vocal that way, like to get that sort of intimacy into it and to use the breaths almost as another piece of rhythm, like almost like a hi-hat to keep the, the songs moving. And it was hard. It's actually, it was very, very difficult. It would have been easier for me to just sing hard. <laughs> um, there's one song on the album called Need You Bad, and it took me probably two weeks to sing the leads in the way that I wanted to sing them because I really had to like, just sort of like tap the gas. Like you're driving a car and you're just sort of tapping, tapping the gas. Like I really wanted a, a specific, uh, I wanted a specific feel. Alone in this room, dreaming of you. And I wonder if your love is still true. There are some albums that are very close and personal to me, like the Janet Jackson's Janet album and Maxwell's uh, Urban, Urban Hang Suite, his debut mm -hmm. album. Mm -hmm. I really listened to the vocals on those like front to back and I tried to steal a little bit of Janet's background and a little bit of the way Maxwell really uses the microphone. So I tried to incorporate a lot of that into the record because I felt like just the intimacy of those records, I mean, other than the fact that they have some of the most beautiful songs ever written on them, um, I really wanted it to feel like, you know, getting to know me. Right. Um, <laughs> I love that. So this is a very soul-bearing and intimate album. What did you learn in this process? So I think the most important thing that I learned in this process and that I've learned through the pandemic is sometimes I'm the bad guy. <laughs> Ooh, say more about that. Um, I think that a lot of times we, when we rethink situations, we think about ourselves as the, you know, protagonist in the situation, but sometimes you are the antagonist. And I think one of the things like personality wise for me is like, I'm big on being consistent. I'm big on being a person who shows up. I'm big on, you know, I'm sort of, I'm very big on those things, but there are times when I'm not. And I think that making this record was like a huge acceptance that, you know, I'm allowed to be all over the place too, just like everyone else. Like it's mm. not something that I really give myself a huge allowance for. Um, and I had to do that like while making this record because I had to tell some, some stories that were really, really the truth <laughs> of it. Ooh, I love that. So there are some of the songs where you'll listen to it and you may want to feel sorry for me, but I'm not, I'm not the person that you should feel sorry for in the song because I'm the villain that I'm singing about. There's a song on the record, um, it's number three. Um, it's called Take It Back. Um, so the chorus is you say you want my love, but then you take it right back. And it's totally, it's totally about me. Let's keep it real, real. You know, every now and then you may get lonely. And you know that you have that person that you call for attention that's always ready there to give you attention. And they're yes. like, you know, they're just hoping that it'll always be more, but it'll never, 
really be more, it's that song. Yeah. It's totally that song. And I've, I've totally done it. I mean, I'm sure we've all had those sort of experiences, but this is me really owning up to, to that. So if you hear the song, it sounds like I'm sort of like, you know, why are you doing these things to me? But it's really me who is doing those things to someone else. I would not have known <laughs> if you didn't say it. Wow, that's really interesting. And then from doing something like that, where you are soul bearing, but you're actually admitting and taking accountability for your wrongs, like, do you think that that is something to learn from? Or like, how do you grow beyond that? Like recognizing that and putting it in a song? I don't think it's necessarily something that you have to grow beyond. I think that owning the fact mm. that you're doing it is, is the growth, you know? Because I think that we all are want to be a hero in our stories, but sometimes we are not, we're not the hero. <laughs> I love that. And sometimes we're not aware of what we're doing and it may not be intentional, but the fact that you're owning it and saying, I am guilty of this, like we've all been there, we get it. It, it taps into a, a sort of vulnerability in other people so that they can feel safe and free to also admit, you know, yeah, I do is, the same thing. I, I, we're all human. It was, it was important for me to write it in a way that makes you feel sympathetic to the person who the song is about mm -hmm. because I get that emotion. I get that they have this feeling or this emotion, but I'm still behaving poorly. <laughs> Do you know what I right. mean? Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, that's huge. So there's there's a little of that. There's some of it where I'm the person who's getting heartbroken, but there's, you know, also me doing the doing the damage as well. So I wanted <laughs> I wanted to make it honest. Like, cause if I can't be honest with myself, I can't really be honest with anybody else, you know? That's a gem right there. <laughs> mm -hmm. I love that. And people can smell inauthenticity, especially in music. When people are trying to sell a certain thing and it's not really them, it doesn't work. So I'm really excited for the word to spread about this. Can you touch on a few of those songs that you think really stand out? I mean, the whole thing is fire, we know. <laughs> but a few of the songs that stand out and just kind of tell us maybe some of the stories behind them or the thought process in writing them okay. uh, while we listen to a few. So the album is called 622 because that's actually where I started recording the album. So 622 North A Street um, was my address in California where I grew up. Um, and so the first recording on the album is actually me and my grandmother uh, in 2003. She passed away in 05. And I kept this clip. I was like, whenever I make a record, this is, this is gonna open the album. I, I had the, the intention of doing that in 2003. Grandma, what you think? Turn that shit up. Um, so I've kept this clip for 17 years. And it, it's the thing that opens, that opens the record and it goes into what I think is probably gonna be the anthem from the album, which is Fuck That Job. Woke up, looked at my watch, it's weed o'clock, so spark it up, what's on the agenda? which is actually inspired, <laughs> which is really inspired by one of the worst days that I 
ever had uh, working, like as a working makeup artist in New York City. I went to the parkiest of Park Avenue apartments and this woman said, I want to do my makeup on the floor. And I was like, okay, I don't have a problem with, like, if you want to sit on the floor, it's fine. We go into the smallest kitchen. She lays on the floor, puts her feet up on the stove, proceeds to fall asleep. This is like a 77 year old woman. So I'm doing her makeup. It looks like a corpse. She falls asleep. And at a certain point, I'm like, like as a black man on Park Avenue, painting a white woman's face as she lays on the kitchen floor with her feet on the stove. I'm just like, you know what? Fuck this. <laughs> Fuck this job. I didn't even sound real. <laughs> I didn't even sound like a real situation. <laughs> I was like, Fuck this. I'm taking tomorrow off. Like, I'm not doing shit. <laughs> like, I just needed to wash myself of that energy. I was like, I'm going to stay home. I'm going to order some hair. I'm going to order a hamburger from Seamless. I'm not doing shit tomorrow. <laughs> and that was, that was really That the song was born. That's, That's inspiration. awesome. That's the inspiration behind Fuck That Job, which is, I think, going to be the anthem from the, um, from the, the record. Um, there's a song that Noni and I wrote um, on the album called Last Week, which <laughs> is like has two layers of inspiration. So it started with we were writing for a lot of DJs um, in Europe. They were sending us tracks and it felt like they kept sending us the same tracks every week. So I was like, you know what? I'm gonna write the same song I wrote last week. <laughs> um, but I also at the same time had a friend who she was, you know, in a bad relationship, they were doing drugs, they were turning up, they were partying. Her mom was looking for her all the time, like seeing her on Instagram. And she was like calling her friends, like asking her, is she on drugs? What's going on with her and this guy? And she was like, you know, I'm gonna change, I'm gonna get it together. But then on the weekend, you would see her on Instagram turning up. So she was just gonna do the same shit she did last week. Mm. <laughs> Um, so when you hear it, it sounds like it's a turn up song, but it's actually sad. Um, cause when you're trying to save somebody who is, you know, self-destructing. But I'ma do the same shit I did last week. Last week, last week. I'ma do the same shit I did last week. Last week, last week. Everything, everything on the album may sound like one thing, but there's something personal behind every every single record. Um, some of them were hard to write. The hardest to write on the album is uh, Tell Me What You Want From Me, which is about my breakup <laughs> with uh, an ex that I lived together with for three years. And it's just sort of like an ownership of all the terrible things that we've done to each other. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, at this point, like, tell me what you want <laughs> me. Cause you know, we've both done we both done a lot to each other. Tell me what you want from me. Did we ruin everything? Yes, I broke your heart, but I loved you from the start. Tell me what you want from me. And that's just like, you know, an ownership of, of, you know, everyone has fault. Like it takes, it really takes two people to fuck a relationship up. 
That's a really healthy way, though, to have some closure and clarity. Yeah, sounds like cathartic. I want to bring back something I mentioned earlier when I was introducing is the idea of looking for yourself. Okay. <laughs> we all heard it in Neo in the Matrix. Nobody can tell you you're the one. You have to realize it for yourself. Talk a little bit about that. So. Um, some of the struggle of being a writer and producer, like being as creative as I am and as Noni is as well, um, being my partner in so many things. So a lot of times we write songs and we're like, who the fuck can sing this? Who is going to do this? And there are so many times where you're looking for yourself. <laughs> like you're really out there looking for someone who's brave enough to say the things that need to be said. And I think that this record was me deciding that I wasn't going to look for someone else to tell my story. I was just going to tell it myself and that was going to have to be good enough. I love that. And you can look at that everywhere. Just the fact that Chris and I are doing this podcast ourselves. It's like, take a look at any desire that you have or stuff that you love that someone else is doing, or you're looking for something. Sometimes it is you. Sometimes it's just like you taking the leap and putting yourself out there. It is nerve wracking because you're like, oh, what are people going to think? And la, la, la. But at the end of the day, we all have something to share. We all are here to bring some kind of value to the world and share a piece of yourself. And that's what you're doing with this album, which came out so great and amazing. I'm so, so, so proud. Um, so yeah, stop looking for yourself. Just look in the mirror. Sometimes it's you that's supposed yeah. to do it. Some of the most important contributions to this record you actually made. Like love yourself the way that I love you. And I know that you do. And it's just a... Like we want to be strong and you are that person that like wants to be a strength for everybody else, your mom, your friends, everybody that you encounter. And when you have something like this that happens to you, it's like it's your fault. This is not your fault. You were allowed to fall in love deeply with somebody. You were allowed to let your guard down. It's very personal. Like it's very, very personal. Like it's I've I've done I've done something that like if you don't know me, like you're gonna listen to this record and you're gonna you're gonna get a huge piece of me and my friendships and what's what's important to me. Um and how transparent I really try to be with my friends and in my friendships and what what's really, you know. What's important? Like relationships are the, I think the most important thing. This is best friends with benefits podcast, you know? Mm -hmm. Relationships are really the things that carry you through life. You know, it's mm -hmm. not money, it's not stuff. I've done makeup for some of the most powerful, you know, and wealthy women in the world, like including Paris Hilton, who just had her documentary come out and I mean, I covered a black eye for her. She talked about being in domestic violence relationships in her documentary. Everyone is going through the same shit. <laughs> I don't care what level you're on. I don't care how much money you have, how much access you have. Relationships are the thing that move us all through life. And mm. this record is a reflection of a lot of those. It talks about my friendships. It talks about my relationships, some of my biggest heartbreaks have been friendships. It's not 
about romantic relationships all the time, you know, like friends right. can hurt you in ways that, you know, you just wouldn't expect. <laughs> right. Um, and you can't necessarily prepare for. So, I mean, we're all the same at the end, at the end of the day, like once you mm. strip everyone's life back to, you know, what's important to us, really it's about relationships and the people who I know who have the most access to everything and who are the saddest are the people who don't have people that care about them or people they don't know that people care about them. Um, so that's, for me, that's a, a huge thread through the record. Um, it's just that loving each other and taking care of each other as best as, mm. as we can. And then also just like forgiving each other for all the all the bumps and bruises that we give each other because that's that's also being in relationships that's being a friend that's being a lover all of those things you know you get bumps and bruises and it's how you how you get through that that really determines you know the quality of your life that part the quality of your life i love it how's your dating life <laughs> um and was was making this album kind of, you know, a part of that, like being alone or being single or, you know, dating. Um, is that infused in the album at all too? So I did not date during this pandemic. I really took the social distancing thing seriously. I have, mm -hmm. you know, some friends who I help during this pandemic who fall into the high risk category. So I wanted to be mindful about the amount of people that I was in contact with and, you know, being in contact with them and their families, they have older parents. So I really like took it seriously. I really took a break from that. But where I'm at with sort of romance is like, I'm really, really dating myself. Like I'm really taking the time to just sort of chill within myself because I feel like whenever you, whenever you want something, it means that you don't have it already. Um, so I'm not looking for anyone to love me because I love myself already. And my life will reflect that if, if that's my operating principle. So I'm really just, I'm chilling. Like, you know, there are always people who are interested and like willing to give me attention and all that stuff is cool. But I think that I know that I'm about to move into the next phase of my life. Um, I feel like I'm in a very transitional place and I feel like I'm going to places that I've never been. I'm going to make new mistakes that I've never made in in my life and I'm excited to explore that and to meet whoever, you know, wants to go on that journey with me, but I'm not I'm not actively I'm not actively looking for anyone in a global pandemic. That's so interesting that you put it that way. Um what just jumped out at me of you saying I'm going to make mistakes that I've never made just already having the foresight for that because so many of us are completely paralyzed from making any moves because we don't want to fail and we don't want to mm -hmm. make a mistake or we don't want to da, da 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 But you're just approaching it like, yeah, I'm, I'm headed in a direction I've never been before and I'm going to make new mistakes, but you have such a resolve about it that is really inspiring. I mean, for me, I think the thing that is probably the most frustrating for all of us 
is when we get into a new situation and then we see old patterns pop up. And you're just like, shit, this again? <laughs> like, I thought it was going to be different, you know? And so for me, like, my constant prayer is always like, Lord, just help me make new mistakes. Like, so that I'm, I know that I'm progressing because I'm not doing the same thing over and over again. Like, I'm really out here pioneering, you know? I'm really, like, on the cutting edge of my life. And I'm not just stuck in, you know, redundant and repetitive patterns. Like, we're all going to make mistakes. The day that I stop making mistakes will be the day that I go in the ground. Right. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I'm not caught up in having a perfect life or a perfect experience. I'm here for the experience. And, you know, it, it, it comes with it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like Noni was saying, like a real resolve of like, this is the journey I'm on. This is the path I'm going on. If I meet someone on that journey while I'm being happy and being complete and loving myself and someone shows up, great. And it's just so awesome that you can be being that way. And then someone, you know, when you're being that way, that's when you'll attract someone who's right for you anyway. Yeah, I think that, you know, through my 20s, I was in a relationship pretty much like for the whole of my 20s. And I, I got a lot of my value from the stability of those relationships. You know, it was like, well, yes, I must be a good person because I've been in this relationship for five years and it's stable and it's all, you know, and you sort of like, I grounded myself through those relationships. I'm in such a different space now where I'm grounding myself with myself. At the beginning, it's scary because you're like, do I have enough gas to make this go? But if you're always looking outside of yourself for someone to give you the gas, then you're always looking for gas. But mm -hmm. the, the moment that you figure out that you can power yourself, you power your own life, you're like, oh, it's, it's limitless. Like I can really do whatever the hell I want to do. If I want to make an album, I can make an album. I didn't need anyone. I wrote, produced, sang all the background vocals. I mixed, I mastered. I did all of it by myself, completely self-contained. And I didn't ask anyone's permission for any of it. That's how we, that's how we grow. That's amazing. Listen, that's everywhere in life. Listen, even if you're not recording an album or writing an album yourself, that's really what this is about. Like, look at ways and things that you've been putting off, or things that you're afraid to take the leap on, or or looking oh, for someone, that, or looking for someone else to do it for, for you. You're looking for yourself. <laughs> exactly. Sometimes it's just you, and I feel like that is the hardest thing. Um, it's the easiest and the hardest thing. When people have questions of like, what do I need to succeed? What do I need to make it? And it's just like, you, you already have it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's like the hard reality. It's like, oh crap. Uh, so I really have to make this happen. Like nothing's going to move unless I say so. Nothing's going to change unless there's an action that I put into place. It is you. You're looking for yourself there. And we, and mm -hmm. we have a, Noni and I have a saying from uh, a song that we wrote together, what I mean, which is push the button and pop off. Like you gotta push the button on your own everything. Mm -hmm. Like maybe it's the way that we're parented. Like I wasn't very, I wasn't parented necessarily. Mm -hmm. um, so I was, I'm an only child and I really always had to be a self starter. So I always kind of had that energy of just wait, never waiting for someone else to be like, you can mm -hmm. do this or you should do this. I'm like, we should do this and we're doing it and it's happening and we'll figure it out 
as we go. <laughs> and some of the most beautiful moments and especially my journey with Noni over the last 13 years have been us giving ourselves permission to to do it, you know, like when you started hosting Black Girls Rock, the the red carpet on Black Girls Rock, like when you're like, can I do this? And they're like, yes, absolutely, you're perfect. And then, you know, I was her producer and I became her stylist. I was mm -hmm. dressing her for the event and I was never a stylist, but I was like, I always know what looks nice. I bet you I could do this. And, you know, I, I reached out to the PR companies and I told them what it was for. They sent us clothes and I learned how to be a stylist. Like it was literally mm. just me deciding or both of us deciding together that we were going to do this and mm -hmm. that we didn't have to ask anyone's permission or we didn't have to ask anyone to, you know, to do it for us. We could actually do it for ourselves. And it was for, that for me was like super empowering. Like when you see how systems work and you realize it's just, all it needs is you to, to make it go, mm -hmm. it's a wrap. Yeah, <laughs> It's absolutely a wrap. It's like when a little kid learns that they can run, like, and they don't need mommy to carry them anymore. <laughs> you like, They're watch gone. out. <laughs> They're gone. Game on, game on. I'm so glad you brought that, um, that whole black girls rock thing up because that was such a turning point and it's so in line with what we're talking about up until that point i would have people come up to me or we'd be at auditions i would be working behind the scenes and there would be audition for hosting and people were like why aren't you doing it and my answer would be like they wouldn't let me or mm. they probably won't they're not going to take me seriously or anything like that and just moments where i'm talking myself out of opportunities that I could have jumped on, but because I listened to the doubt in my head, we all have that little demon in our minds or that doubt monster, just like, who do you think you are? What are they going to say? And blah, 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 blah. But that was just one time that we're sitting in a meeting trying to find a host for these like sponsored ads. And I'm just like, I can do it. <laughs> can I do it? And it was just me opening my mouth to ask the head of sales, like, I think I can do a really great job. They took it to the president, Stephen Hill. And he was like, yeah, you can do it. And it's just like, you never know what doors are not opening because you're too afraid to turn the knob or you're too afraid to knock or whatever that looks like. Um, you're looking for yourself. So just and then, they had you, then they had you for three years in a row. Like, exactly. Your gig. Like that's, and they're like, we love working with her. That was, you were the easiest person that, that, you know, the Patrick, the producer is just like, you're the easiest person I've ever had to work with. You're a producer yourself. Like it's, <laughs> it's that giving yourself permission to like take up space, like whatever space it is, like no matter how big the space is, is, is important. Like I watched probably half of the Beyonce Black is King. My first thought like was, wow, this feels like megalomania, right? Like, it's just like, it's a lot of you. <laughs> Like it's a lot of self-importance. So we're was, definitely not going to drag Beyonce on no, this. No, I will cut this wait, out. Okay. No, so. <laughs> so I watched it at first and I thought, wow, this is like megalomania. Like, do you really need to center yourself in this? And then I thought, yes, absolutely. You should. Like, why not you? Why can't you exist in all of these spaces? It's perfectly fine to be as big as you want to be. And I think that that self-governing, like that self-limiting thing that we all, you know, do 
is the crux of us not getting to the things that we say that we want for ourselves. So, and watching her do that and seeing how, you know, she may have been rolling her eyes every day, but she did it. She got out there and she centered herself for an hour and a half, you know, in this, you know, beautiful, fantastical story. I was like, wow, like, kudos to you. Cause it gave me, it gave me a little bit of like, why not me? Why can't I center myself in my own story? Mm -hmm. I have a quote. Okay. <laughs> Kristen's quotes. There's a quote by Marianne Williamson that I gave to Stephanie. And it is literally all about this. She says something like, when you allow your light to shine, you are allowing everyone's light to shine. And she does say something about who are you not to be gorgeous and and beautiful and all of these things. Like you're a child of God. Like who are you not to be great? So it literally points that exact thing. If we can be as big as we can, it's allowing the next person to be as big as they can. And, had, and it does take courage and it does take something to put yourself out there in that way and limit those self-doubts or we're really like the only ones ever stopping us from doing anything anyway. Um, so it's a really beautiful quote. No. It really does help you see that exact thing that we all have a light to shine. And, and we all have a right to, ha yeah. to be as big as we want to be. Yeah regardless of what you know anyone else says or thinks like what does it matter or what right. anyone else's comfort level is don't dim your light to make someone else comfortable that's your right. shine. that's what we don't do <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think we are the most nastiest people to ourselves i mean the things we tell ourselves in our heads we would never say to our worst enemy like right. that's so true just so nasty and no need <laughs> If it wasn't for your stand for me, like, and that's why I love what you said about Anthony, um, you know, said there's a lot of parts about relationships and that's the most important thread and that you're very like apparent in the album because you guys are best friends. It's, it's so important to have those people standing for your greatness bigger than mm. you can see yourself. There's times like when Stephanie would say to you, Anthony, like you should be singing this. You would send me clips and I'm like, Oh my God, I'm crying. Like, this is so beautiful. <laughs> Sometimes other people can see our greatness bigger than we can see our oh, greatness. So, so true. There's people that we keep close to us. Like girl, I will, I will never forget. Um, you know, I, we did this leadership program together and Stephanie and Noni <laughs> was marching in the hall. She was like, it is going down tonight. Like you will do this. And I've had all these things. Like I could never speak in front of people. I was always scared. I was always like shy. I would turn beat red in front of crowds. Like, but having people stand for your greatness and, and saying it over and over again, you can do this. It somehow will register, even if it takes you a long time. But then, like you said, you have to push that button yourself and pop that's, it off. It's only going to be you. You but are the so only great. one that can take the actions to having yourself be big. But I think that that's part of it. Like, that's what got me through it. It's like, you said, Anthony, it's like having people in your life, the relationships close to you, standing for your greatness, knowing you can be bigger than yourself and just and also having that fear to go F itself. And, <laughs> and, and I think a big part of what you're 
talking about like your relationship with Noni, just like my relationship with Noni is we only big each other up. Yeah. <laughs> I've never had a day with her where I felt like she asked me to be smaller or I asked her mm. to be smaller ever, yeah. ever, ever. Like, it's always like, how big do you want to go? <laughs> it was only going up. So I'm here to support you in however big you want to go. Like, you want to, whatever you want to do, let's do it. And like, let's do it without fear. And I'm right here. And if we got to, if we got to, you know, fight to, to get there, or I got to go to New Orleans and do your makeup every day and... You know, like we got to make, we're going to make the absolute most of this opportunity because it's our lives. Yeah. This is it. This is this all. Is it. This is not a dress rehearsal. <laughs> yes. Yes. Free and I love that because one last little piece, Anthony, like how blessed are we that we have Noni in our lives? Like yeah. <laughs> The always, people, always. and that's the thing I can say about her all till the day is long. When I was displaced from my apartment, all she kept saying was, girl, just imagine how nice your place is going to be when you get back in it. She spent 12 hours helping me clean my porch when I finally moved back in. But she was just always like, girl, you can get through this. You got this. Imagine what it's going to be like when you get there. It's like those kinds of friends that... It doesn't matter how low you think you might be, they will always see you higher than I remember like one of my like worst, you know, worst days ever. She said something to me that I say to people all the time, which is she said, I know you feel awful today, right? I know you feel absolutely awful, but the nice thing about feelings are they don't last forever. You will not feel this way forever so it's like so feel it now <laughs> yes but i promise you in time you will not feel like this forever and i really took that in and every day i woke up and i still felt it i'm just like okay it's gonna go away and then you know eventually you forget and it's gone yes and i've carried that with me and i've passed that i've passed that i had a friend uh, recently who got married a year ago and just got divorced mm. uh and so there's you know the happiness for the freedom of the situation, but the sadness mm. because it's over. And I always have to remind her, like, this is this is the feeling. Yes. <laughs> it's not going to last forever. Like, you have a whole life ahead of you to live. And it might feel like the end of the world today, but it's not. Yep, <laughs> it's really, and... really not. <laughs> Feelings really... are not a reliable test for reality. Like, that's kind of like saying, like, I'm my farts. I fart and I am my fart. <laughs> of all the analogies, that's gonna be at the beginning of the episode. No, but it's not a real. Like I am not my farts. I just it's just a feeling that happened. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm so you are so weird. So strange. So strange. Such a strange analogy. Yeah. Um, no, but thank you guys for that acknowledgement. I have to say to everybody that. If you are the friend that just keeps it real with your friends and pushes them to see their own greatness, don't shy away from it because it can create some awkwardness, right? Like I had a real conversation with Anthony uh, a few months ago about fitness and I was just like, I don't have the time and la, 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 la. He was just like, are you done with all these excuses? Because (laughs) we know, you know, 
<laughs> I can do better. And now I have worked that out. Like to have friends that only see the bigness in you and only speak to the greatness that you are capable of instead of what your current situation is mm. in. Those mm -hmm. are friends that you will grow with for the rest of your life. Like that's literally the definition of a ride or die. Then if you are the friend on the other side that you just want to, you want to have the friends that tell you everything that you need to hear. I've told Kristen this before too. I'm just like, you got people that will tell you what you what you want to hear all Those day. Those call puppies. <laughs> Get you a puppy. Yeah, if, you, <laughs> if you want that, people that will just agree with you. It's not and a like, real you know. But if you want the real, real, and you want like, you know, to come out of the pity party and the, the place mm -hmm. that you are and be clear, just like what I said to Anthony about, you know, feel the feelings. We have to allow our friends to be in their pain. It's yeah. not always our job to like snap them out of it or fix it or anything like that. Mm -mm. It's just being there, being a space where they can let that all out. But then also, you so know, we can't offering, live here. <laughs> yeah, we can't, we can't live, live here. <laughs> there is light at the end of the tunnel because you yeah. can have friends that feed the beast of yeah, girl, I don't know, <laughs> like, I don't know what you're going to do, or, yeah, it's terrible, and, you know, or, you know, friends that are secretly like, oh, what else, because your, your situation is making me feel really great about my life, like, mm. watch out for those friends, and watch out for friends that don't big you up and talk about the greatness in you, because you can't grow with them. And one of the things that I always love about when I have a conversation with Noni is we will preface what's going on before we explain it, right? So she'll call me and be like, I need to rant. Kristen right? and I do that too. <laughs> she's like, she's like, I need to rant. So I know I'm not giving her any advice nope. in this. Yep. I'm, I just need to let her be in her feelings and just listen, right? So mm -hmm. she'll tell me like the most ridiculous story. <laughs> she'll go through the whole details. Maybe she'll get to the end. If she asks me, am I tripping? Am I then? <laughs> <laughs> then I will render, then I'll render like a judgment about the situation. But if she just calls me, it's like, I just need to rant. I'm going to listen and be like, damn, that's fucked up. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> and I'm going to leave it there. But if she comes to me and she just starts explaining a situation, I'm going to ask, first of all, number one, what do you want to do? Right? Mm. I think that's an important situation because it's like, are you looking to get out of the situation or are you looking to fix it? Right? Like, some relationship that fits your parents and you're like, I can't really detach. I mean, you can detach from your parents, don't get it twisted. But if you're like, I'm not, I'm not looking to detach from the situation. I think the question is always how, how do you want to fix this? You know, right. what are you willing, what are you willing to do to fix? I'm listening to your feelings first, but then we're going to start talking about the facts of the situation because we deal in solutions. That is our, that is our Listen, way of- <laughs> all action items. And mm -hmm. two, it always happens too. Like when you're venting to your friends out loud, and I've said this before, and you're venting to your friends out loud, it's just something about hearing yourself say it all that just makes it feel so much less like end of the world. But when you stay in your head and you're just like five scenarios down the line, 15 years later, <laughs> like what's going to happen and da, da 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 it just so amplifies. I heard something last night because I was so, you. I texted you, I was like, I need to get coaching. I got coaching and she said the most brilliant thing. She said, there's a, t there's a difference. There's a monologue and then there's dialogue and mm -hmm. things get resolved in dialogue. So 
I don't know why, but that I got that. And I was like, oh my God. So you can stay in your monologue and in your head and go crazy all day. But even if you just vent it out to somebody else, like just being heard and feeling seen, it just resolves something for you. 100%. It makes it just feel that. less like the end of the world. Yeah. Yeah. But it also, I think talking it out can sometimes make you understand that sometimes you be tripping too. That part. <laughs> totally. <laughs> I was tripping. Could you hear bit. all the drama in your voice come out? Yeah. The same thing. We had that same, the call when you found out somebody got married. And <laughs> you should have like, seen me. I wish you would have recorded that. <laughs> it was the most hilarious call. But as you would think from the beginning of the call to the end, like beginning of the call was end of the world to the end, we're laughing together. And the next morning, just like, what? What happened? Like, it's what? Just like, what happened last night? <laughs> Well, I think that we have definitely got a lot out of today. Okay. Number one, we need to download Anthony Giles 622 everywhere that music is streamed and sold. It is there. Um, it is there. It is definitely a treat. We will probably have you back on sometime in the future talking about something else. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I am just so overwhelmingly proud and I have been bragging to everyone about this project and about this album and uh, I'm just excited for people to hear you on these things been behind you know the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain for so long <laughs> now people are really really getting a chance to see you what is the one thing if people could take away one thing from this album what do you want them to feel I want them to not be afraid to use their own voice. That's it. That's Beautiful. it. I love it. Well, Do thank go. you guys for being my first interview <laughs> as a recording you. artist. Listen, when you blow up, we got the first one. We got the first. The first one. It's weed o'clock. So spark it up. What's on the agenda? I just got that email.